Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops. I'm your host, Paul Oren, and you're tuned into a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. You can find me on Twitter at NWI Oren, and you can find Union Street Hoops on Apple Pods, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Pods, and all over the place, really. I googled Union Street Hoops earlier today because I was looking for an episode that I wanted to share a link to to somebody, and I'm just amazed by the amount of different places that this podcast now pops up. We host the podcast on NWI.com using Omni Studio, and I think it shoots the feed all over the place. So wherever you're coming from, thank you. Welcome. Let's talk Valpo basketball. To a degree, right? The last time we came together and talked was on March 9th. I did a podcast called Revelation, and it was about Valpo's run to the Arch Madness championship game. The reason I chose that title was because it was a play on words of when I did an earlier season episode that I called Genesis and Exodus, which talked about the beginning of the Valpo basketball season. And I really spent a lot of time talking about the end of the men's tennis and men's soccer programs, Genesis and Exodus. And I thought it would be an interesting play on words to talk about the end of the season using Revelation because I thought that Valpo was in fact a revelation in Arch Madness, right? They It was a rebirth, so to speak, of the program. Seeing what they were able to accomplish over four days in St. Louis, it was, it was nothing short of miraculous. To, you know, to see the team go from the brink of what would have been probably a program-crushing loss to Evansville, an 0-18 Evansville team in conference, all the way through to making the title game against Bradley. And as I sit here today, the NCAA tournament has been canceled. The rest of the conference season tournaments, conference tournaments were canceled. Sports as we know them have been postponed. I I can only wonder what it would have been like if Valpo would have won that game and made a quote-unquote return trip to the NCAA tournament only to see it get canceled several days later. I shudder to think. I've had a couple conversations over the past few days, past 11 days or so. We interviewed John Kaiser shortly after the uh, the tournament was canceled. Talked to Ryan Fazekas earlier today. I don't have audio of either one of those conversations uh, in, in large part to the fact that um, – just it didn't didn't work out that we did things over the phone. We haven't done in-person interviews in quite a while. Talked to Matt Lodick a little bit. Uh, I think it was last week. This Every day is running together for me now. Uh, we're going to talk to Matt next week as well. Kind of, you know, the, the traditional season-ending uh, press conference or, or media availability. We didn't really have that last week. We talked last week with him, or maybe it was earlier this week. Um, we talked about the CIT. Valpo was, in fact, going to be in the CIT, and they were going to probably play earlier this week. Who they were going to play, that's up in the air. That was never really really settled on, but Valpo's season was going to continue, and as we know, sports have been have been kind of postponed a little bit. Um, it, it, it begs the question of where do we go from here, right? I think we all have some questions about that, and I'm not the first to know an answer. I know that I think the media has been blamed for a lot of this stuff. I can tell you that at no point have I told you to go buy toilet paper. So uh, whatever your thoughts are on that, we'll, we'll just leave that to what it is. Um, what I can tell you is that I think we all need a reason to keep going at the moment. And when I say that, I'm not trying to 
be panic stricken or anything like that. But I think it's been real easy, at least this week for me, to kind of slip into a funk part of partly because there is no basketball and this is my favorite time of the year. I mean it's it's Friday at five o'clock right now. We should be just coming out of the first wave of games, the first you know, the first session of games and and getting into the second session. I had a media credential to the tournament in St. Louis. The games would have been yesterday. I would have been there. I had a media credential for Indianapolis next weekend. I would have been at the regional, probably doing some work for the Final Four program that I've done over the years. Uh, you know, getting getting a story nationally published is is always a fun thing to do. And I just on Sunday, Selection Sunday, I just wanted to cry. And then it got worse over the week. It just felt emptiness and really some uneasiness right now, right? Like it just, I don't know what to do partially because there's no sports, but there's no end date for this, right? Like we don't really know what's going on. And and I, I think if all of this works, the social distancing and all of that stuff, we may never know that it worked, right? Like we may, some people will say it was an overreaction. Other people will say that, it, I don't know the answer to that. All I know is that the pain that I think Valpo fans might have felt when Valpo lost to Bradley feels like a kiss on the cheek compared to what people are going through right now with with obviously the, the seriousness of this. But then peeling back a few of those layers and then just looking at the fact that there is no sports. It's awful. It's terrible. I don't know the answer, right? Um, so I guess we put a ribbon on the 2019-20 Valpo basketball season. And you got to feel good about it in a way, right? I think there were moments where you were stressed, but the team showed at the end of the year what it could be, right? We'll never quite know why this team made their mark on falling behind 15 or 18 points with some regularity and then continually showing the reserve and resolve to claw back in these games. Those questions, maybe we'll talk about that at another time. doesn't feel as important at the moment. Uh, but to me, it I, I said this a couple times, I really enjoyed watching this team because they never felt out of it. Even when they were down 18 or, or 20, they got back into it, and then they just ran out of gas at the very end. So there will be time to talk more about this team and really this program and where it goes from here. We'll talk to Matt Lodick next week. I'm really curious to talk to Matt about Jacob Oganesevich, Connor Barrett, and Sheldon Edwards Jr., the three incoming players. I also think it should be noted that I look at the transfer portal quite a bit, and there are no Valpo names in it. It looks like everybody's coming back right now. Now, names are being added to this daily, right? And there may still be a name or two that pops up. I don't see it. Talked to Malik McMillan before the conference tournament. He thought everyone was bought in. Javon Freeman Liberty said in Arch Madness he's coming back. Daniel Sackey told me that he thinks everyone's coming back. Ryan Fizika said earlier today he doesn't know of anyone who's leaving. It it sounds like this this team is coming back. And if they do come back the way that they are, and you add those freshmen, you've really got to think that Valpo's looking at a, a top three or four finish in the Valley. Northern Iowa is going to be really good again. You know, they lose a couple pieces, but they're going to be really good. 
Bradley is going to have Elijah Childs back, I believe. I know Daryl Brown is gone. Nate Cannell is gone. But they've got some good pieces that are going to be there. Valpo's obviously going to be up there. Uh, you've got some other, you know, Illinois State is going to be young and, and have a lot of their pieces back. Um, they've got, you know, the, not a lot of people are graduating in the Valley, right? A lot, Loyola, obviously, has got Cooper Kafis coming back from injury. You've got Cut, Crutwig. You've got Williamson. You've got Kennedy. You've got all of those guys. They're going to be a force to be reckoned with as well. It, Missouri State has got a lot of those guys coming back. A couple of guys leaving that team. But, uh, man, the Valley is going to be fun next year. I can't wait to get to next year, obviously. But today, I really wanted to look back. I wanted, I've been wanting to do this interview for a while, partly because of John Kaiser wrapping up his career. And you'll hear this at some point in the interview. But I got a message on Twitter uh, a while back from Alec Peters that said, when you tell the story of John Kaiser, when you tell the final story of John Kaiser, I want in. And I reached out to Alec earlier today, as a matter of fact, and and I said, are you ready to tell the story? Let's go. And uh, he said, hey, I got nothing but time. Alec is in Turkey right now, had the opportunity to spend an hour with him on the phone. Um, You're going to hear about 40 minutes of that. You know, a lot of it was just Alec and I talking and, and going back and forth with one another, and and uh, most of it here is uh, is recorded. Now, I'll tell you, through the joy of technology, I interviewed Alec using WhatsApp because who is calling somebody and talking for an hour from the U.S. to Turkey? Um, I, I don't have that kind of cell phone signal, right? So I used WhatsApp, and in order to record it, I basically put him on speaker on my cell phone on WhatsApp, and I held it up to my blue yeti stereo microphone and my voice is going to be louder and you're going to hear him and at times you're going to hear his voice cut in and out there's nothing i can do about that it's not your audio it's mine it's it's just it's the signal it's the connection from half a world away and i was thrilled to talk with alec he's got some great john kaiser stories he sets the record straight on the john kaiser one-on-one tryout battle and we just we talked we just we just went back and we talked about his first year in the end his only year in the NBA. He goes deep into that. We talk about playing in Europe, moving from one team to another. I asked him how close he was to leaving Valpo. We we you know we talked about this before on the podcast. I think um, right after he wrapped up his career, he came in and, and sat down and did an episode with me, and it was great, but. I think even even in that, it was probably too soon to really go into deep detail. And so Alec kind of opens the door a little bit on on what he was thinking during that process. We talk about Bryce Drew. We talk about Vanderbilt. We talk about a lot of that stuff. And, and then we talk about this year's team and, and Alec's impressions of them. I do think you're really going to enjoy this interview. I know that at least for an hour when I was on the phone with Alec, I kind of forgot about everything else that was going on. It took me back to the NIT run and to all of that. And that game was on TV the other day. And and it, it just it was really refreshing to spend an hour on the phone with Alec, just kind of reminiscing a little bit and catching up and, and talking about life and all of that. And and so I think for the next 40 minutes, as you sit down and you listen to this interview with Alec, I hope you'll feel a little bit of that as well. 
right? We obviously talk about some of the travel concerns on the top, where he's at, can he get home, all of that. And then we get into some good stories. And so if you're able to take an hour, 40 minutes, and sit back and and shut your mind off from what's going on in the world, I hope this podcast can help you out a little bit. So thank you all for listening. Here's my talk with Alec Peters. Joined across the country, across the world, as a matter of fact, with Valparaiso legend Alec Peters. Alec, thank you very much for joining Union Street Hoops in these very interesting times that we're in right now. Where are you at in the world? He's up on the legend talk real quick. <laughs> <laughs> that makes that makes you sound old, right? It hasn't, hasn't been hasn't been that long since I left, so we can uh, we can quit with that. But uh, no, I'm in I'm in Istanbul right now. Um, you know, we've been. Just recently, we were the only basketball league in the world still um, resuming regular activity. But as of uh, yesterday, I believe, they suspended everything. And so now we are sheltered in our apartment, told not to leave for the next few days uh, before everything gets kind of sorted out timeline-wise. So that's where I'm at right now. You know, it's interesting here in the U.S. when they canceled basketball and and all sorts of sports, they can just kind of easily send everybody home. I imagine it's a bit more difficult to have people scatter there have you had any given any kind of timeline as to when you might be able to return home to the u.s or is that something that's even on the table right now you know that's what's been the biggest mess right now amongst you know every american i think that's playing you know overseas you know i've got a lot of people that i know that you know played in italy have been playing in spain um you know all over the place in europe that have gotten home and some that can't get home because either there there's two sides of it the team has to allow you the club right the club has to allow you to uh to return home because you're contractually obligated until june or whatever the season ends you know to be there so you have to have you know permission first and then second you know you have to find a way to get out you know if there's certain travel bans going on like you know there there are every day it just seems like something new is popping up you got to kind of find a way around it and uh, find a way to get yourself home but um that's been the frustrating part is getting the timeline figured out when things might be resuming um, I know they have kind of a mid-April projection right now of when they want to start things up again. I think, and I think 90% of the world knows that that's going to get pushed back again. So yeah. that's why I, everybody's, everybody over here in EuroLeague, you know, the top leagues are, are frustrated because they know things are going to get postponed even further. And so why not let us go home now while we have the chance to, instead of waiting it out, maybe there's a travel ban gets put on and then U.S. citizens are really screwed. Because I think as of right now, I think, you know, in the next few days, if you're able to get home, they'll they'll allow it. But nobody has any idea coming in the next month. It's got to be very frustrating. You know, Turkey, for whatever reason, I know EuroLeague had been postponed, but you guys were were still going to play. You know, was that was there a lot of uneasiness with that whole thing? It was like the weirdest mindset to put yourself in, I think amongst all the players because not only they wanted us to continue to play, they wanted us to continue to play without fans. So we played two games, I think, empty gym against, you know, and some teams you'll find over here are just not very good. So we, you know, played against a couple teams that, you know, we won by 30, 40 points in an empty gym. And it just, you you just, you find that, you know, your energy is different. Obviously with no crowd, you don't have as much energy throughout the game. You know, you just, you, you find yourself kind of sitting there watching the game, just like, you know, Am I, am I really into this? You know, what are we really playing for? You know, is this really that important right now? And it's just, it, 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 it I don't know. It's, it's very hard to describe because, um, 
the dynamic in Turkey and in, in some countries in Russia was kind of similar to this was, you know, the government is who kind of makes the decisions. The government, it's not like the Fed, Turkish Basketball Federation. They're in charge to an extent, but when it comes to, you know, the league and playing the games and, you know, is it okay and safe to play, it's the government who makes the decision, the minister of sport. So that's that's kind of a weird thing to kind of grasp is knowing that it's not like, you know, in America where you have the NBA, you have Adam Silver who's the commissioner, he's the end-all, be-all, end-all, say-all on on what it is that happens you know throughout the league here you have the government's involvement and you know it's kind of a weird dynamic knowing that you have you know the the overseeing power of that that ultimately decides what it is you're doing we could talk about coronavirus covid19 all day long but i imagine a lot of people that are stumbling upon this podcast are trying to take their mind off of it a little bit so if we can let's take our mind off of it a little bit uh, you and I have been going back and forth in the, in the last couple of days and weeks about about your guy, John Kaiser, right? And uh, I thought one of my favorite messages I've ever gotten from you was when you said, when it's time to tell the story of John Kaiser, I want in. So can you tell us some stories about John Kaiser? I, I mean, this guy just put forth one of the greatest tournaments I've ever seen from a player. He had torn ligaments in his ankle. He fought through the pain. He he gutted it out. And I mean that that's something that has come to define who he is. Uh I imagine you saw this kind of mindset at a very young age in his Valpo basketball career. Share a story or two about John Kaiser if you can. Man, I I told him after after the season ended too. Like I'm just I'm so damn proud of that kid. I mean, it, he and I told him this in a, in a long text message. Like he like you think about it, he lived the absolute dream. Like every college basketball player, you know, you get a scholarship, you go play your four years. It's a blast. You have a great time. You win. You win championships. You know, and at the end of the day, you're like, you know, afterwards, whether you play basketball in the future, or you get a job. It's great. This dude came from absolutely like the absolute bottom you know he was a walk-on this dude walked into the gym on a visit to work out against me and earned a spot and then from there he earned a scholarship like that's like that's the absolute dream like this dude lived the absolute best college basketball story that you can find a guy that just never was uh, an assuming kid you know you just you, you look at him you're like all right this guy he, he plays hard whatever but just to go from where he was and to end up with that run at the end of a season, it was, it was storybook, man. Like that's just, that's something that you just, it brings you to tears watching a kid coming as a freshman, grow into this dude that's, that's starting playing, you know, 30 minutes a game. <laughs> you know, it, it just, it's hard to describe. It's hard to describe how I felt. Can you take us back? Can you take us back to that workout? What What's going through your mind? You're coming off of, you're coming off of this NIT run. You're going to L.A. at some point to play against the top players in the country. And your coaches say, hey, we got a walk-on who's going to come in here. He's going to play you one-on-one for a workout. What's going through your mind? <laughs> I mean, I can be a little bit nicer about probably what was going through my mind. But, um, <laughs> I mean, without – you know, assuming anything, I was just kind of like, all right, like, you know, let me just beat up on this person real quick and, you know, get, get some quality work and some conditioning and not think anything of it. Well, here this dude was like giving me jabs to my chest, 
you know, jumping into me, like, like kind of taking it a little, little extra on the roughness. And at first I'm like, okay, like, I, I like this kid. He's tough. And after a while it went the whole, you know, hour, hour and 30 minutes that we were going and went, it went the whole time. And I'm like, what the, you know, what the heck is going on? Like why <laughs> this kid, it doesn't matter how many times I score. It doesn't matter, you know, how many times I bang in him, this dude's going to keep hitting me. He's going to keep, you know, trying to get under my skin. And I'm like, this, this kid, you know, I don't, I, I might have walked away from it and be like, I hate this kid, man. Like, why would I want him to come here? But, you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I respected it so much. And, you know, and even, you know, everybody wants to, you know, hit me up after there's a story of him beating me one-on-one and, um, you know, ask me if it's true. And, and here, you know, here's kind of how it went. It's like, you know, throughout the workout, it was kind of, a, you know, up back and forth. And, you know, he was toughing it out with me and, um it got to a point where, you know, maybe I kind of let it, let it off the gas a little bit. I was tired and I was kind of baiting him into making jump shots and he was making them. And I think he actually, uh, I think he actually got one on me. And he, he tells me, John's like, man, thanks for letting me win so that I could earn my spot. But like, in all reality, I just kind of was like baiting him into, you know, making him shoot jump shots and he was making them. And I think he actually got a game on me. There was a moment earlier this year when he pulled this, uh, the the players here call it the Kevin Durant shot. He kind of did a little bit of a fake fake move, spun back to the right and did a mid-range jumper. And I and it was, you know, when he made the shot, the bench went crazy. And I asked him in the press conference afterwards, and he said, I had to guard Alec Peters for a year. I might have learned a thing or two. When, when, you, when you know that a kid like him followed – everything that you did and then used it later on just how does that make you feel oh i know that that used to make him the most mad is when he would guard me in practice and i would just shoot a fadeaway jump shot because i was a little bit taller i would just rise up fade away my jump shot over him i'd make it and they would just absolutely eat at him that he couldn't do anything about it and so like uh, and that makes me it makes me laugh when i watched the games i was watching the ncaa tournament games he was catching on the baseline turning over his shoulder to the baseline and making a fadeaway shot i'm like this 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 dude really went and started working on this after I left. Like, this is, you know, th- th- that's amazing. That's like, that's what you want to, that's what, that's what college basketball is about, man. It's about a guy like that who just comes in and just absolutely loves to work for four years. That's, that's what it's about. That's the joy is just working like that for four years so that you can have that ultimate ending. And, you know, even though they didn't win the last game, like he had that ultimate ending, man, like making the all tournament team, having that run, um, you know, to the championship game and being just a big part of it, making big plays at the end of the game. Like, do you think he envisioned that, you know, sitting or even coming to that workout that, that first day when he walked in? Do you think he ever envisioned that? Probably not. But he lived it. And, you know, he's going to have stories to tell and he's going to be able to to love this. And he's, he's literally in Valpo basketball history for the rest of his life. So it sounds like you, you paid attention to the games down the stretch of the year. I know that over the last three years, you've obviously been busy with your own career go into the NBA, go into EuroLeague, winning a championship. And we'll touch on that in a second. But but this year kind of felt like a bit of a rebirth of the Valpo basketball team down the stretch of the year. All of these guys have kind of bonded together and, and maybe had people feeling reminiscent of, of of some of your teams there. What did you see from from these games down the stretch of the year? And, and are you excited as an alum to kind of see what they can do going forward? cool is to see the, the excitement um you know you see when the ball goes in the basket the bench jumping up and everybody just losing their mind i know that's a, that's a big thing nowadays in basketball everybody pays attention to like bench celebrations and that's starting to become a more popular thing but like you just 
you could tell the absolute joy that they had for each other. You know, I don't, I don't know if that was necessarily there, you know, as abundantly in the, in the years, in the few years when they were obviously struggling. And that's what, you know, going back to talk, I know I could talk about John all day, but going back to John, I, you know, I told him like what he did as, as a, as a player is probably harder than any, anybody went through. He, he went from being really good his first year as a team to going through two of like some of the worst years of the program to now all of a sudden bringing it back to, you know, on the rise again and being part of that, what jump starts it to hopefully be great again. And, um, to see that joy that they had for each other, you know, making the winning plays at the end, you know, playing defense. I mean, God, they got some kids out there, man, that can just play some freaking defense. And that, that was, uh, you know, that was refreshing to see, see guys get after it and then create, create havoc on the defensive end. I have no idea what's on TV where you're at here, but ESPN and ESPNU have started playing older basketball games, and they just showed the Valpo-BYU game from the NIT the other year, uh, your junior year. And it was interesting because I think I maybe took it for granted, but I was watching. You guys had like seven steals in the first ten minutes of that game, and you talk about defense. And it felt like maybe in the in Arch Madness, these guys, Javon Freeman, Liberty, doing the same thing. Um, what just everyone talked about how great of a defensive team you were at Valpo. Can you maybe just touch on that mentality of being kind of a great defensive group? Yeah, man. And you know, Bryce obviously had a lot. You know, coaching has a lot to do with you know defensive concepts and scouting and what other teams are doing and how we play against them but you know the drills the little drills that we would practice every day like he was he spared no detail you know coach Lottie I know is very similar and you're sparing no detail in how you want things done you know defensively and and you have obviously your your guys like like watching Javon you know the kid's so special defensively you know it's hard to you can't it's hard to teach a guy like that because his instincts his length you know his ball hawking skills are just you know they're so special and he's able to create transition opportunities for himself um you know, you just there's some kids that just naturally are gifted like that, and then you have guys like you know maybe we might have had great defensive teams when I was in school, but I'm not the greatest defense. You know, very known, you know, but understanding the scheme and what Bryce and Coach Lionel's trying to carry that as well. It and is you know if you can understand what the other team's trying to do, you can try and predict and be in the right spot and move your feet and, you know, obviously get quicker along the way. But uh, it's being able to predict, and um, that's what made us so great. Do you Have you gone back and watched any of those games from college at all? Again, I know you're still an active basketball player, and you've got your own game film to, to pay attention to, but do, do you ever think back to those days? You know, everybody was hitting me up when they saw the, the NIT games on, the, on ESPN, and I, I just couldn't bring myself – really to, to I mean I, just, I remember so much from that title game like that that George Washington game just you know them playing zone and us not being able to shoot anything Keith getting hurt and that really killing us you know their their walk on coming in hitting a 30 like I remember all of it you know like that, that's just I'm just weird that way I, like their five man hitting two big two big threes at the beginning of the game and the one at the end of the game like they just I don't know if we just you know turn the ball over too much but that was that was very hard to to reminisce on when I had people texting me about it. So um, I, I probably have, you know, throughout the last three years or so being out, I've watched some, you know, you know, clips here and there. Maybe I'll go back and, and watch a few highlights if, you know, I'm bored or somebody has to see them. So, but other than that, you know, I try, I try to leave those, let those be the glory days, if you know what I mean. 
So talk about your career a little bit here. You know, we've we've had you on the podcast a couple of times, certainly right after you were done playing here and then when you got drafted. And, and I think we talked a little bit during the NBA experience. But what has Europe been like? Um, obviously, you've you won a championship your first year. You've moved to, I think, their rival that you beat in the title game last year. And now you guys are, are doing very well. What's the transition been like from the NBA to Europe? And, you know, there's there's some little nuances um, that you have to pick up on, you have to learn. But, you know, it's basketball at the end of the day, and and what I do, and and what I'm, you know, what my role is, and what I specify in is, you know, as I became a pro, you know, in college I did a little bit of everything. I posted up, you know, I shot the ball, I drove, you know, I I kind of tried to do do it all, be an all around player. And as you get to a, to be a pro, and especially for me, you know, you, you have to be able to settle into a role. You know, it's told you very young, like, hey, look, you know, you're not the lottery pick. You're not the, you know, the young guy with all the potential anymore. Like, you got to settle into a role and you got to be really great at it if you want to, you know, have a successful career. And I just I really tried to be that. Not only, you know, when I got drafted and, and in Phoenix, I tried to really, really be that and really work on that. And that, that first year really set me up to get to be on one of the best teams ever championship and, and be a part of that that stretches the floor, takes advantage of opportunities wise when need be really just, you know, a big time knockdown shooter. And I, I think I shot uh, like forty two or forty three percent from three in our championship season, started half our games, um, and then was able to, you know, move that into this year where we're on the I'm on the best team in Europe again. Um coming, you know, at, at, in a bench role where it's the same thing. If I come in and I knock down a couple shots, that's that's great you know sometimes there's games where maybe i'm not i don't have it and i miss a couple and, and i you know just don't see the court as much but that's just that's european basketball and that's what i think is different from the nba as well as the nba is so many more possessions so you're going to have you know three four five chances maybe to to hit a shot and you may be able to get in threes up here if you don't you know, one two of your three or four it's going to be seen as oh he maybe does now you can get that fifth chance to make up for your for your first couple misses and and you know that that you have to work on that you have to mentally prepare for that and you have to practice it which can be hard but you know it ultimately I'm only I've been two years in a row I've been on the best team in Europe so we're cutting out a little bit right now I'm just gonna I'm repositioning the uh, the phone here. You play. You've got. Normally, they limit it to uh, to a couple Americans per team. I think you've got Shane Larkin and Chris Singleton on your roster right now. Are those the only guys from America on your roster as well? And James Anderson, I think. James Anderson, and then Brian Dunstan is also American. He's on our team, so we have we have a handful of them. What do you do? You guys just naturally spend more time with each other, given language and shared NCAA oh, yeah. experience or anything like that? Yeah, you do everything together. I mean, you, you find out really quickly that, you know, you're all in the same boat, you're all in the same situation, you're away from home. So anything normal, why you don't speak the language, so you just you kind of share experiences, everything together, restaurants, you know, going out, diff- different things like that. You just you share, share experiences together throughout the season. You're with each other all the time when you travel, so it's just you naturally gravitate towards each other. You get a feel for each other very quickly. And, you know, that's what makes, I think, our group, you know, very special. And, and this team's so good and why we're the best team in Europe right now is that, you know, we got to really tighten it. Even with the guys that aren't from America that are still, 
you know, foreign. Like we have a Croatian, we have a Serbian on our team, we have a French player on our team. You know, we got players from all over. We all are very, very close. What led you to want to shift from one team to another? I don't really know the dynamics of EuroLeague basketball, but kind of what what led the shifting from uh, the team in Russia to the team in Turkey? Yeah, it was weird. You know, we we won that championship, right? And normally, you know, after you win, you know, the championship and you know, EuroLeague's second best league in the world. So I mean, it's not like it was some you know, palm thing. You know, it was a big, big deal, big deal, more big than I thought I would realize at the time, but. It's weird, you know, you'd think you'd want to keep everybody, you'd want to run it back again, you know, go for go for two in a row, but it just, it seemed like as the summer progressed after that, more guys on the team, like the big-time guys, the guys that have been playing, you know, 10 years in EuroLeague that have won championships, the big money guys were all leaving, and it was like, almost like they were just looking for a new experience, looking for something else, and that season, you know, there was a lot of pressure on us to win. Um, we were told, you know, hey, by the president by the coach like you know this is it this is all or nothing like you guys either win it this year you know or good luck anybody trying to come back next year so they were hanging that over our heads and once we won it guys i think might have just wanted to get out of that environment a little bit and try something new so everybody started to to bolt once they got down the list to like you know the first year guys like me they were just kind of like you know look we're starting over we're doing something new so we're gonna go in a different direction I had to accept that it was hard you know I, I really thought and I really wanted to you know be back there I was starting to you know grow a good relationship with the coach so that was tough that was that was that was a tough pill to swallow when you know someone calls you and says you know hey we don't I'm not gonna bring you back you gotta kind of start over once that happened um you know it wasn't very much time later but the team that would be in the championship you know the team I'm on now FS you know calls and you know, kind of offers the same little, the same, uh, same role. And it was kind of like, you know, you're looking at the future and knowing that Shane Larkin's coming and coming back and he's the best player in Europe right now, by far, you know, he, uh, broke the scoring record in a game this year with 49 points. Like he's unbelievable and seeing the future of the team, knowing that they were great and made it to the championship last year and the potential just oh, uh, a no chip contender. Shane Larkin beat Valpo in the NIT several years ago. It was Ryan Brokoff's junior year, I think. Uh, has you guys ever talk about that? I'm going to have to bring that up. How did I know that? <laughs> See if he remembers it. I'm sure he does. I remember everything, too. So that would be something fun. That would be a cool topic of conversation I could have with him. If, if my memory is correct... Dating back to your junior year now, you have had a different head coach five years in a row, including in Phoenix, where you had a G League coach and then two different head coaches, I think. How crazy is that? Man, I, to- pro- I probably had I probably had ten different coaches that year, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it felt like. Did uh did you enjoy your year in the NBA? No, it was uh I get told by many NBA players that have played for a long time that the year I experienced in the NBA was not not the real NBA that I was kind of in a, a clown show which looking back now you know I don't want to say anything you know, too bad but it was it was difficult man like to be go from having that that high of high being drafted you know you're just you, you're so unassuming you're like man I'm gonna be you know even in the NBA I'm gonna be in training camp against these guys and you know, I'm going to, you know, hopefully get in a few games and, you know, try and prove that I can play. And to go 
from getting drafted, training camp, to all of a sudden, after three games in the season, the head coach of the Suns, Earl Watson, gets fired. And then they bring they, they let the assistant take over for the rest of the season, pretty much, Jay Triano, which they were all great dudes, man. Like, they had a lot, I had a lot of great conversations with them. And to have their hands kind of tied the whole year, trying to play these certain guys. And that's what, I mean, the NBA is, is very much, you know, there's organizations that are very hard to, to stick in there's a lot of luck that goes into it on where you land some of these guys that you see having success you know if they were maybe in a different situation they would not be having the same success story so you know it's all about the situation you land in I thought I was going to be you know since we were on a bad team that I was going to get some opportunity to play early on and it just didn't happen and I was you know playing in the G League you know a lot at the beginning and then towards the end of the season I finally got to see some minutes, see the court, which was nice. You know, obviously they were trying to lose games to get the number one pick, which is also another weird dynamic to have, you know, with your team. But, you know, and then after the season was over, they hired a new coach right away, Igor Kochkov, played summer league with him. Like, it just was the whole year you just never got comfortable. You never felt like you found that right person that you could, you know, hopefully get to believe in you, hopefully to give you, you know, more of a more of a chance. But... You know, it makes you a better person, a better player because of it. You, in your final game, dropped, what was it, 36 points? Yep. I mean, yep. that, what, just take me through that. How how awesome was that? Or is that just, just how, do you have good memories of that? Well, that last, that last week of the season, you know, I was probably getting like 15 minutes, a little bit more than that a game, you know, I think leading up to that. And I just remember each game like feeling like a little bit more as anybody you know you get more playing time you get to shoot the ball more you start feeling more comfortable and you feel like you know you belong a little bit so you know leading up to that game I was feeling good you know scoring like eight points in a game I think I had you know five points and I like hitting a couple shots here and there feeling good and then that last game you know you know it's the last game and at that point we had so many guys sitting out that just didn't want to play the rest of the season for whatever reasons injuries you know, made up shit, you know, like this shit, the NBA weird, man, like, don't get me wrong, I'd love to come back and play it's home, I'd love to be having another shot, but you, you just, you laugh at some of the shit that goes on, it's just very, um, very weird, but, you know, leading up to that game, going back to that, it's just, you just have this feeling like it's kind of, this is it, like, you either come out gunning and hope for the best, or, you know, no one's going to really you know, have an impression of you. And so that's kind of what was told. And we maybe had like seven or eight guys healthy for that game too, or seven or eight guys that were listed to play. So I knew I was going to get to play. I knew I was going to get my opportunities. And it's just once you see the first one go in, and then I think I banked in my second three, I was like, all right, this might be this might be the time to, to heat check a couple times. And just throughout the game, it just kept adding up, man. I kind of got in that mode where, like, it didn't matter who was guarding me. It didn't matter who we were playing that night. Like, that night was meant to be a special one for me. Is it bittersweet to have gone through an experience like that, knowing that that was the last time you played in the NBA? A little bit. You know, everybody still wants to, you know, kind of bring that up around me. Like, oh, you had 36 against the Dallas Mavericks. So I was like, okay, that's that's great, and that was great at the time. But that was also the Dallas Mavericks were the third-worst team in the league. You know, it's glorified G League lineups playing against each other out there the last game of the season. Like, it's not like it was, let's not glorify it, but I do feel like that game gave me kind of like the mental that, you know, hey, I can do this. I can do this at the high level. Because, like, I really felt that day, 
like nobody there wasn't anything anybody could do to stop me from hitting those shots like i was you know hands in my face cutting to the basket you know getting to the free throw line like i just felt in such a flow that it didn't matter who we were playing against or who it was like that that i can i can belong here and i might not have 36 every night if i played in the nba but i really feel like i could you know that i could do this and that was kind of okay for me i'm like okay like that's that's good enough knowing that in the future whatever it takes me if i come back to the nba that i can do this you know i don't need to be you know sitting there wondering like okay you know it didn't pan out the first time is going to pan out the second time i know that if i get another shot like i'll be able to uh, that i can do it and that's you know that's what that game gave me i've got i'm going to switch gears i've got an odd question for you and i don't know how how much you want to talk about this but Bryce Drew got three years at Vanderbilt, and they let him go. I think everyone kind of understands that it was probably unfair, and there was a lot of circumstances that went into that. Were you? Did you think it would work for him at Vanderbilt, and 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 were you kind of shocked to see it unfold the way that it did? You know, it's. Uh, I always rooted for Bryce. You know, like it, it was tough to hear when he had this conversation with me about you know, him leaving and, and taking the job at Vanderbilt and knowing that I was going to, you know, play one more year, wherever it was at the time, I didn't know if I was leaving or not. And that's something else. I don't care. You can ask me about that too. If you oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like I rooted, I rooted so hard from like, man, like Vanderbilt, it seems like, like a Bryce fit, like a, a school that's very well, you know, well-kept, well-known, you know, highly touted. Like, it just seems like, you know, the school that Bryce, you know, might thrive at if you were to make that jump to a big school. Now, you, you never know what the dynamic is, how you get along with the athletic director. And I'm learning more and more, you know, as my brother is a, is a college coach now and as I can kind of look back and make relationships with people who are coaches now, like, there's so much more that goes on besides just coaching the basketball team that you have to you have to worry about. And, you know, I don't know if that maybe – Bryce was ready for it, but, you know, I was really hoping that, you know, he would get a little more chance. Because, well, they make the NCAA tournament, what, first year? Yeah, they and, and they were not good early in the year. No, they weren't. Didn't they have, like, 18 and 17 records or something like that? Like yeah, they, but they went on a, a crazy win streak down the stretch, and they had the game right. won against Northwestern, and then their star committed a foul when he thought, I guess he must have thought they were losing or whatever the deal yeah, yeah. was. Yeah, Matthew Fisher Davis commit, committed the foul. I remember that, yeah. That's uh so and then, you know after that you're like okay you know first year might have been a little rough but let's see if he gets a couple guys in there that can be you know some some program builders the guys that he you know had success with at Valpo but obviously on a bigger scale because he had a bigger school and I don't know if it was just maybe tougher to recruit at Vanderbilt with maybe they had some rules and restrictions or you know he had you know some guys that um, you know recruiting top 100 guys can sometimes get a little dicey in terms of what they're you know needs are and if they're met if you know what i mean yeah so i don't i you know maybe at the end of the day he realized that there was more 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 that goes on there which you know he probably knew assuming going into it but i'm you know i rooted for him you know 100 percent. i really do think he got a super raw deal after three years and obviously not winning a conference games last year might be justification for it but to not give him kind of the you know, chance to let a let a class go through, and then kind of try and bring something new into the fold. Like that, just you know, especially a guy like Bryce having a relationship with him, a personal relationship with him. You just wish that things would have worked out better for him. 
And he's got a great opportunity at a school like Grand Canyon right now, which is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I saw you tweeted about that. You're excited for him? I'm super excited. I mean, it's in Phoenix, and that's where I lived for a year. So, I mean, I'm familiar with, I've met Dan Marley a couple times, you know, when I was there. So I'm familiar with their program. And um, they have a, it's actually, it's a really nice setup, man. They, They sell out every home game. And if you, you know, look at videos of their home crowd, like it's some of the most insane college basketball atmospheres. That you'll uh, that you'll see, but it's it's just like a nice little pocket school, you know, right there in Phoenix, and uh, you know he'll love the area too. Phoenix is still one of my favorite cities in the states. Time has a, a way of uh, maybe opening up some doors of talking about things, and it's been several years now. How close were you, or did you ever consider leaving your senior year? You know, I, I'll put it this way. Um, and I re- like that's probably the one thing that I revisit in my mind all the time. I don't know if it's just you know looking at you know sometimes you're bored over here and you just your mind kind of goes different places and you start talking to people and you talk about how your last year ended up and how it kind of fell below expectations. You know, like you know what if you know getting hurt? What if I transferred? If I would have gotten hurt? If I would have had better you know athletic training care and things like that on my body? Like you just you, your mind starts to race a little bit. So. I'll, you know, I, I kind of put it this way, like, like there were the conversations that were had, um, they were very service level, but, you know, I had kind of before, you know, after Bruce left and, you know, me and my, my family started talking about it, the people in my circle started talking about it. I know I'm kind of dancing around it right now and I told you I'd give you answers, but <laughs> I'm getting there. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, like it was kind of like a make your, make your list, you know, make like who, if you realistically were going to think about this, like what would be your t- prototypical fit with coach program, you know, if, if big school, whatever, like just, just write down, you know, what you need in your program. And it could be, you know, it could be Valpo at the end of the day. That could be the one that, that sits higher than everything else, you know, on your list. And, you know, when we were having those conversations, they just started after a while to become the same conversation over and over and over again. And I'm like, man, like, am I really going to be able to do what I do night in, night out, loving the teammates that I have? Like, am I really going to be able to do that somewhere else? Like, is, is that, you know, as much as a coach can promise that, as much as a coach can talk to my high school coach or talk to my, you know, you know, just the back channel ways that coaches go through without technically recruiting somebody, as much as, you know, I'm getting all these calls from so-and-so and, you know, reaching out from so-and-so, is that really going to assure me that I can do the 23 and 10 a night at these other schools. That's going to boost me to the next level. Like what, you know, where are my priorities with that? And it just ultimately got to the point where I was, you know, I re I think I reached the point. When was it? When is school in May? School ends yeah. in, in, in May. I think it was June, June ish, early June. I remember I was in the car driving. And I just, I think I ended up, uh, and I just, like, called my dad, and I, I just called Coach Lodic right after that, and I just kind of made the decision on my own. I just was like, yeah, there's no way I can leave these dudes once, you know, like, I can't leave guys like Jabril and Lexus and, and Nick, um, you know, Jacob Schoon, Shane, like, these guys that I, you know, basically poured sweat over for the last couple of years. I can't, can't do these guys dirty at all. Like, we got to finish this out, and there's no way I can make the impact that I've had these last three years somewhere else like this just wouldn't feel right 
like something, and something inside me just didn't feel right about it. But to say that that it wasn't considered would be would be a lie. I definitely took the necessary thought process into it. Where were like Jabril and Lexus and Nick? Were were did they recruit you? Did they just kind of let you do what you do? Kind of where were they in all of this? They stayed away, man, and then you know. I don't know if I was that I would have been in the same boat. I think I, I might have. If it was like Jabril in my situation, I probably would have called him a hundred times just trying to see what he's up to, just to see if I could interfere in any way I could. But they, they did a really good job of just kind of letting me think it out. Um, you know, they expressed, you know, they'd be, they would have understood either way. You know, your coach just leaves. There's uncertainty. Like, there's just all the reasons in the world for you to, you know, go go try it at a, at a bigger program, go, you know, especially nowadays kids just jump left and right like you know then there was all the reasons in the world for me to try it somewhere else and you know it just just didn't happen you know i just couldn't couldn't get that feeling if it would have been a good move you know and and you know who knows if things would have turned out differently like i said maybe you know i would i wouldn't have played so much maybe my minutes would have been a little bit more restricted on a better team you know i wouldn't have gotten hurt you know blah blah this blah blah that but like at the end of you know, I, I think my career been, has turned out great so far, and um, you know, as much as I can think about the what ifs, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have traded that last year for anything. And now you sit here in your third year of professional basketball. Does it feel like a job now? And 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 maybe maybe it did in college too. Uh, you know, it does, but I love it. But like, I love the job. You know, people say if you love what you do, it's never you're never working. But like, like that's what. I love about it. I love the work. I love, you know, I love practice every day. I love getting up out of bed knowing that I'm going to go to the gym today. I'm going to get up better my, better my team. You know, it's just that that's the stuff that gets me out of bed in the morning is, is loving it every day. And, uh, you know, I'll continue to do it long until, until I don't have that feeling. When I have the feeling that, you know, probably you should walk two more years and say it's enough. You've got a brother who's an, a college basketball coach. You've got two sisters, one who is now playing in college, one who is a professional uh, dancer. How, I mean, the competition amongst you four has got to be off the charts. Just how, how, how close do you get to stay with your family, despite the fact that all four of you and your parents are in all different places in the world? Yeah, I think it's more tough on them, uh, especially my mom. You know, it's holidays come around, birthdays come around, it's, you know that that becomes tough knowing that everybody's off in different directions but you know we're doing what we love you know my my brother obviously is getting his coaching career started my sister's in texas my uh she just graduated college and she's in texas you know working at um working at a church and then also doing dancing on the, on the side and part-time and my other sister has just started college like we're just in all different kind of phases of our lives and it's uh it's great because anytime we talk or anytime we see each other, it's like, you know, just like we were all living under the same roof again, like we were all under 18 years old. Um, so that, that stuff never, that stuff will never leave us and uh, that'll never leave in our family dynamic. And, you know, the competitiveness, like you reached, like you touched upon is even, it's even crazier. Now. Like, like even now we're, you know, you've seen these brackets floating around where it's like fast food restaurants and, and all this different stuff. Like, have you seen those? You oh, yeah, those? yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We'll send it in the family group chat and just, like, we'll argue about it. Like, you know, there, there's a right like there is a right answer to it. So that, that's kind of <laughs> the, the extent that we go to for, 
for competitiveness is is reaching its all time high, especially even now with uh, no sports going on. And uh, your your teammates from Valpo, how much do you stay in contact with them? Do you still have a, a group chat with them, and and do you follow the other guys who are playing professionally right now? Yeah, you know, so I mean, social media is a game changer with all that. You know, it's you can look up to see where everybody's at in the world. You can see a, a highlight clip here and there. But you know, I, I talk to Nick still all the time. You know, we lived together for three years, so I mean, it's hard to, you know ever want to, to not be in touch with that person you know he's obviously living a great life uh, in, in Indianapolis right now and and uh, Jabril is another guy that I, I stay in touch with frequently just because you know we're both playing basketball in Europe right now we give shared experiences and we've been able to I think last year he actually came to one of my games when I played in Spain um, we played in Madrid he actually drove and, and came to the game and I was able to see him which was that made you know we won the game and then I got to see him I made that made my season pretty much damn near right there. So, um, yeah, and then obviously social media, you know, you'll comment on someone's stuff every now and then, try and make fun of the other person. Like, there's just so many ways for us to, to stay in touch. And I know that if we ever all got back in the same room again, it would be just like we never left. We'd be laughing, joking, and, you know, just in tears over some of the stories. That's great. Um, Alec, I want to thank you very much for taking the time here. I know that it's a strange time here as you're kind of awaiting awaiting your fate in terms of whether or not you get to go home and and we're all sitting back here you know Valpo University has just announced that they're going online for the rest of the year everything's kind of shutting down uh Illinois just said we're sheltering in place uh you know and not it's it's a very very strange time and are you able to get news over there pretty easily of to what's going on here yeah and I, you know during this whole quarantine period as people like i hate that word i think it makes people panic um uh you know we've been staying up i've been staying up later you know trying to almost be on the same time as as uh as back in america so I, i've been trying to stay up to date with all the news stuff and waking up to all the notifications in the morning from either family or news outlets it's um pretty crazy it's pretty crazy what's going on i hope you know everybody's obviously doing their part health-wise, washing their hands, the same story that everybody's putting out there. You know, it's just, it's a, uh, it's a weird time for all of us in sports and, and outside of sports. And, you know, I like everybody's hoping everything returns to normal as soon as possible. Well, Alec, thank you very much for joining Union Street Hoops. It's been wonderful. We'll definitely, uh, you know, we'll get you back on here when, when things shake out a little bit more and maybe we get sports back in our lives in the future. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Like always, it's a pleasure, man.